This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Let me say that again. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That these problems, you know, if we don't have the kind of marriage we want, if we don't have the relationship with our kids we want, if we don't have the kind of financial freedom we want, this is a problem of impulse control. It's not a moral failing. There's nothing wrong with you. It's simply that we haven't learned the ways to control our impulses. Well, the antidote to all of these impulse control issues is forethought. show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about how we can become indistractable. Technology has done a lot of wonderful things for us over the last decade. Tasks that were once extremely time-consuming or monotonous are now a lot simpler. On the flip side, though, we can become extremely distracted by technology, and it can keep us from focusing on what matters most. And for me, personally, that's family. So what do we do? How can we enjoy the benefits of technology without getting constantly distracted by it? Well, our guest today, Nir Eyal, is on a mission to help us all take control of our lives. Nir is the author behind the new book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. He has taught at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, and his writing on technology, psychology, and business appears in the Harvard Business Review, The Atlantic, TechCrunch, and Psychology. Psychology Today. When Nir isn't helping people become indistractable, he enjoys spending time with his wife, Julie, and their daughter. Welcome to the show, Nir. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Great to be here. It's great to have you. Well, let's talk about tech. So take us back. You've talked about this a lot. I had a chance to enjoy your book. When did technology start to become such a distraction for us? For us or for me personally? (laughs) I guess I would say technology for everybody at large, but I guess personally, you could speak to it from your standpoint as well. For me, the, the really seminal moment when I decided I had to reassess my relationship with distraction was a few years ago, I was sitting with my daughter and we had this beautiful afternoon plan, just some quality daddy-daughter time. And I remember we had this book of different activities that we could play together, right? To, you know, make a paper airplane contest, make an origami crane, all kinds of different activities that we could do together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. If you could have any superpower what superpower would you want? And I remember that question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said, because in that moment, for whatever reason, I don't even remember, I started looking at my phone. And before I realized what what I was doing, when I looked up from my device, I saw that my daughter had left the room because I was sending her a very clear message that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. And she went to go play with some toy outside and I'd blown it. And if I'm honest with you, Andy, it didn't just happen with her. It would happen when I would sit down at work and I would say, oh, I'm going to work on this big project. And yet 20, 30, 45 minutes later, I was doing everything but the thing I said I was going to do. It would happen with my physical health when I said, okay, I'm definitely going to exercise today. I'm definitely going to eat right. But I didn't and I wouldn't. And so if you ask me today what superpower I would want, it's the power to be indistractable, that this will be the skill of the century, that there is no facet of your life that is not impacted by your ability to control your attention. 
And we have got to teach this skill to our kids because if you think the world is distracting now, (laughs) just wait a few years with virtual reality and augmented reality and who knows what other realities – it's going to be incredibly important. The people who are going to you know, really differentiate themselves in the future have to be the ones who can sustain their attention. There will be a real bifurcation between people who allow their time and attention to be manipulated by others and those who stand up and say, no, I decide how I, I will control my attention. I will choose my life. I will become indistractable. So that's my own story. And then that kind of launched me on this five-year research journey to, to understand the deeper psychology of distraction. But to your question of when did we all become distracted by technology, the answer is at least 2,500 years ago. Now, why do I say that? That's not the answer you were expecting. You were expecting, oh, since Facebook, since the iPhone, since the internet. Nope. In fact, the Greek philosopher Plato talked about this very same problem. In the Greek, it's called akrasia, the tendency to do things against our better interests. So at least 2,500 years ago, that's the oldest recorded record we have of someone complaining about how distracting the world is. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us it's not actually the technology. Right? If Plato was complaining about this 2,500 years before the internet, it can't be technology's fault, which is, of course, everyone's knee-jerk reaction. We all want it to be technology's fault, but I'm here to tell you that is a scapegoat, that what I discovered, and I wanted it to be true too, by the way. I wanted to just, oh, it's all tech's fault. Let me just put tech, you know, stop using technology. But I realized two things. Number one, I can't. <laughs> My job depends upon it, right? Like, I can't stand these chicken little tech critics that say, oh, well, just stop using Facebook or stop using the e- you know, email, stop using your phone. Well, thanks, stupid. I'll get fired, right? My job depends upon that. And, and why should we, frankly? These technologies are fantastic. They can do so much for us. But the more important thing I realized is even when I did that, I said, okay, I'll follow these, these people's advice. I'll, I'll, you know, I read these books on how we should get rid of our tech. And I did that. Right? I got myself a flip phone from the 1990s with no internet connection. I got a word processor so that I could do nothing but write no internet at all. And guess what? I still got distracted. You know why? Because I would start writing and then I would realize, oh, you know what? My, my desk is a mess here. Let me just clean up my desk real quick. Or let me take out the trash. Or, oh, you know what? Now is a great time to do laundry. And I realized that I kept getting distracted, even if it wasn't the technology that, I, that was distracting me. Because here's the bigger truth. Distraction begins from within. It's not about the stuff outside of us. It's about what's happening inside of us. And if we don't understand the deeper psychology of distraction, let me tell you, we will always find a way to distract ourselves. You make a good point in the book about, I guess, scheduling your time so that distraction doesn't take over. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So I think it's it's important first to describe what is distraction. It's one of those words that you think, you know, I thought I understood what that word meant, but the, the deeper I went into it, I realized, wait, I actually had a complete misconception about what that word is. So the best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what distraction is not. So if you ask most people, what's the opposite of distraction, they'll tell you it's focus, right? Not exactly. If you look at the origin of the word, the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. Traction and distraction. So both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice they both end in the same six letters, A-C-T-I-O-N. That spells action, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us, but rather it is an action that we ourselves actively take. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that you do with intent, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. The opposite of traction is distraction, any action that pulls you further away from what you said you were going to do, further away from your values, further away from doing what you said you were going to do. So this is a really important distinction because I would argue you can't call something a distraction 
unless you know what it distracted you from, right? Let me say that again. You can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So to answer your question, Andy, if someone lives their life like I used to live my life, being a to-do list devotee, but with a blank calendar, you are begging for distraction. Why? Because if your calendar doesn't tell you what is traction in your day, what is distraction? Right. If you have lots of white space in your day, oh, I, I you know, I have, I, I have so much time. I'll get all these things done, and then those tend to be your least productive days, or the ones that you don't schedule your time. So this is no longer optional. Okay. If you find that you're not doing what you said you were going to do, you know, I, I was so glad to be on your show because this is exactly the kind of topics that people tend to get distracted from: their marriage, they get distracted from their kids, they get distracted from their money. Like these are all things that require forethought. They require us to plan ahead. If you want a good marriage, you can't have a good marriage over a, a you know, let's take a vacation over the weekend. No, a, mar- a good marriage is built over days, weeks, months, years, right? If you want a great relationship with your kids, you have to invest that time with forethought to be fully present with them. If you want to make money, you, you can't just, you know, make money in a weekend. You have to deliberately plan ahead how you're going to achieve your financial goals. All these things require us to plan ahead. And so if you don't plan your time, right, which is absolutely fundamental to having a good relationship with your, your spouse, a good relationship with your kids, and making money, you've got to plan your time. That's the input for the output of those things we want. You have to plan that time in advance because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So that, that's one of the most important tenets to becoming indistractable is making time for traction based on your values, which, by the way, I'm not saying can't include... Facebook, video games, Twitter, whatever it is you want to do with your time. Frankly, I don't care. What I want you to do is to decide in advance how you want to spend your time according to your values and your schedule, not someone else's. Absolutely. And it sounds like even with making the time, you have to first define what those values are. You can say, hey, I'm a family guy or I want to do well with my money, but we need to first define what that actually means in order for you to make progress or in order for you to make traction. Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah, we have to start with our values. So what are values? It's not one of those words that I thought I understood the meaning of, but I really didn't. Values, as I define them, are attributes of the person you want to become. Attributes of the person you want to become. So we have to ask ourselves, how would the person I want to become spend their time, right? We have to define that in advance. And by the way, it's no coincidence that we use the same language, the same terminology to describe money as we do with time. Think about it, right? We make money just like we make time. We spend money just like we spend time. We pay attention just like we pay with dollars and cents. And it's amazing to me how greedy people are with their money, how cheap we are with our money, right? We clip coupons, we split checks when we go to lunch with our friends, we scrimp and save every penny. But when it comes to our time, Take it. Whoever wants it, go ahead. (laughs) Right? Which is ridiculous because you can always make more money. You can always make more money. You cannot make more time. I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. You can be, you know, you have infinite amount of money. You get the same 24 hours in a day. So it should be the opposite. We should be stingy with our time and generous with our money because you cannot make more time. So it's, it's absolutely critical that we sit down in advance and we ask ourselves, wait, how would the person I want to become spend their time to live according to our values? I love that. So we've defined our values. Maybe we're carving out our time now and looking at that. Yet there are still distractions, pings and dings that come and hit us. How do we hack back some of these distractions, these things that pop up so that we can make some traction? 
Yeah. So now that we have traction and distraction, the next question, as, as you're asking, is you know what what prompts us towards these actions? And and you've hit on it. So they're called triggers. And there are two types of triggers. What most people blame for distraction are what we call the external triggers: the pings, the dings, the rings, all these things in our outside environment that can lead us towards distraction. And of course, there's lots of things we can do to hack back those external triggers. But it turns out, studies find that that's only 10% of the cause of distraction are the external triggers. Even though it's what we tend to blame, right? Oh, I was going to be with my kids, but then my phone buzzed and I picked it up, whatever the case might be. That's only 10% of the time that we get distracted. So what's the other 90%? Studies find that 90% of the time that we get distracted, it's not because of an external trigger, but rather it's because of what we call an internal trigger. What are internal triggers? Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape, okay? Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. This is the cause of 90% of our distractions. So the first step to becoming indistractable, even before we plan out our, our values and our schedule, before we hack back the external triggers, before any of that, step number one has to be to understand what is the emotional discomfort that we are escaping when we get distracted. Because let me tell you, whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you will always get distracted by one thing or another unless you stop and understand what is that emotion, that internal trigger that is driving you to escape that discomfort, and what can you do in advance? What what will you plan to do when you feel that emotional itch? And this is the step that most people are not willing or unable to take. Right, We moralize and medicalize these type of, of behaviors, and, and it's not. For the vast majority of people, there's nothing wrong with you. Only 3% of the population has ADHD. There's a 97% chance that that is not you <laughs> if you're listening to this. You, it's not that you have any kind of medical diagnosis. It's not that these distractions are necessarily moral failings or that there's something wrong, You know that, that, that you've done something wrong. No, it's just that the vast majority of people don't have the skill set to recognize when they feel this emotional discomfort and then have a tool to deal with that emotional discomfort in a healthy way that leads them towards traction rather than distraction. So this was the big aha moment for me in my life is when I realized, wait a minute, I'm not using these tools because of the tool. I'm using them as escape. I'm using them to get my head into a different place. And that's the deeper truth here that we have to not only understand for ourselves, but to model for our children. Because this is truly how we raise indistractable kids. We teach them that what we have to do is, as, as we grow up, as we mature, is to understand how to master those internal triggers or they will become our master. I'm glad you brought up parenting. Let's dive into that. I have a daughter. She's nine years old. Screen time ends up being a conversation that we have a lot. She really likes it. And obviously, I've chosen a career that requires me to be on devices quite a bit. I'm a content creator. I, I try to use my phone for as much as I can so that I have less things to deal with. Now, we're talking about screen time a lot. I have conversations with her about the right amount of time. How can somebody like me start this conversation with my daughter and have a happy medium where she finds the right amount of time? And as a parent, I feel like I'm not letting her life waste away on Roblox. Yeah, I hear you. So so there's, there's a few things we can do. Number one, let's understand what the research really shows. The research shows that three hours or less of extracurricular screen time, not one study has shown any deleterious effects. So one thing we can do is to lower the temperature. I think the media has promoted this mindset that technology is evil, that it's hijacking your kids' brains, that it's turning them all into addicts. That's just silly. 
And it's, it's no different from what we saw when I was a kid about television and heavy metal music and the congressional hearings around comic books. Like every new technology, parents want to blame the technology and say, you see, that's why my kid is acting the way they are. It can't be because of anything I'm doing. It must be the comic books. It must be the radio. It must be the fill in the blank. Today, it's social media and whatever. So let's lower the temperature and realize that, look, technology can be wonderful. And the last thing you want to do is to fill your kid's brain with fear around technology. Because if you tell them, you know, these unscientific notions that it's melting their brain and they're, you know, they're all going to get addicted to it and uh, it's bad for you. Well, one, they see that's not true, (laughs) right? So they can see right through that. And two, scaring them about technology doesn't serve their interest because, look, the jobs of the future require them to be comfortable with technology. So there's a lot of good that can come from technology when it's used correctly, right? It's almost like teaching a kid how to swim. Swimming is wonderful. Swimming also, or swimming pools also kill children who drown in them. So you don't want to you know, teach a kid how to swim by tossing them in the pool and hoping they float. You want to make sure they're ready to learn how to swim and then you know, appropriately show them the way. And so there's something very similar we have to do with technology, starting with you know, setting boundaries. So this is very similar to what we do for ourselves around becoming indistractable, is we make time to use the technology. So what many people do is they're constantly fighting with their kids, being the police officers, dictating when they can and can't use the technology, as opposed to, as opposed to dictating, discussing. All right, sitting down with your kid. This is what I did with my daughter when she was six years old. We sat down together and we said, look, the price of using this technology, it's not money. The price of using the technology is the time away from other things. Okay, it's time with your friends. It's time with your parents. It's time drawing. It's time reading. It's time doing all the other things you like to do in your day. That's the price of screen time. So let's sit down and ask ourselves, how do you want to spend your time? And by the way, this is exactly what we were just talking about in terms of turning your, your values into time that we talked about earlier for ourselves. And we asked her, how much screen time do you want? Right? We gave her the option. And I was expecting she'd say all day, but that's not what she said. You know what she said? She said two episodes, meaning two episodes of a show she liked on Netflix. Well, that's about 45 minutes. Fine. That's, I'm okay with that. But she made the rule. She said how much she wanted. And I said, okay, that's fine. How will you make sure that you don't go over 45 minutes, I asked her. And she thought for a minute and she realized this was, this was you know, my daughter's 13 now, so this was many years ago. And she realized that she could, we used to have a microwave that was at counter level. So she could go to the microwave and use the timer to set a timer for 45 minutes. And when the timer beeped, she knew her time was up. How amazing is that, right? Because now I've taught her self-regulation and I don't have to be the bad guy anymore right? She monitors herself, which is a lifelong skill that she has to develop. So now, by the way, she doesn't use a microwave. Now the, the technology has progressed so much so that she can use, you know, Apple screen time features. It comes built right into the phone. She can monitor herself. So that's a, that's a big thing is to set those boundaries, including some, what I think are, should be, you know, hard and fast rules around no phone zones. For example, the dinner table. We know that families that eat together stay together. The studies are pretty, pretty conclusive that you really do not want to have phones at the table. Well, that's a rule that you can set that you have to abide by as well, by the way. So you know, setting those boundaries is very important. Also, using the four steps of the indistractable model to teach them how to become indistractable by realizing their external triggers, that's going to be very, very important. And there's a whole section in the book on how to raise indistractable kids. And we don't have time to go through all of it, but I will tell you, Parents really do need to understand this concept of what we call psychological nutrients. 
that children today are really deficient in these three psychological nutrients. And they look for these psychological nutrients online when they can't get them offline. This is called the needs displacement hypothesis. So it's absolutely critical that parents understand what kids are looking for in the first place when they go online and, and use technology excessively. That's very, very important. And then the last thing I would say, and perhaps the most important, is that we as parents, if we want to raise indistractable kids, we have to be indistractable ourselves. I can't tell you how many parents tell me about, oh, my kid's on Minecraft and he won't stop with the social media and she won't, you know, she won't get off TikTok. And meanwhile, as they're telling me this, they're checking email on their phone. Kids come pre-installed with hypocrisy detection devices. You may not see their little invisible antenna, but I'm telling you, they are constantly scanning for when you screw up. And they're looking at, at you as an example. You're the, the, the most important template of what it means to be an adult in their world. And so when they see you obsessively on your device, when they see you watching football as opposed to being with the family, when they see you ignoring them and engrossed in something else and distracted as opposed to doing something you said you were going to do, whether it's, I said I was going to work out and I'm not, I said I was going to eat healthy and I'm not, I said I was going to be with you and I'm not, whatever the case might be, they see that example. So the best thing you can do to raise indistractable kids is to learn how to become indistractable yourself and to be honest with them and say, look, I'm struggling with this too. Let's go on this journey together. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan 
above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash tello. Let's jump back into the show. Yeah, I think that's good to be the example. Not only we talk about financially on this show, but also with your relationship with your wife, with your habits as a person, you are managing these devices. Be the example you want to be for your kids. Let's talk about marriage for a second. I know you're married and devices can sometimes come in the way of of marriage. Is that something you have seen a lot in your research? And I guess, how can people fight for their marriage when it comes to tech? The first half of Indistractable is about things that you can do yourself, how you can become indistractable. But of course, our environments greatly influence our behavior. So the second half of the book is about various contexts in our life. So how you can have an indistractable workplace, how you can raise indistractable kids. And the very last section of the book is how to have an indistractable relationship. And so this is where I I get very personal (laughs) about my own marriage. So my wife and I just celebrated 20 years of marriage. Congratulations. Uh, We've been together for 24, but 20 years of marriage. A few years ago, we found that before I wrote Indistractable, a few years ago, we, we realized that uh, our our relationship was really suffering because of distraction. And in particular, I'll be honest with you here, I don't want to get too personal, but our sex life was suffering because night after night, I was caressing my iPad and she was fondling her iPhone and we uh, weren't being intimate. And so that's when, uh, you know, as I was researching what became indistractable, I found many techniques that we could apply to our own life. So we started with examining those internal triggers. That's the most important step. What is it exactly that we were feeling that we were escaping into our phones for in the first place? That was the most important step. Then we made time for traction. Here's what we did. We set a bedtime. Right, newsflash. <laughs> we tell our kids, "You have to go to bed on time. Sleep is super important." Right? You have to go to bed. But do we have a bedtime, or are we being hypocrites again? We know sleep is important for adults. Why don't we have a bedtime? So we set a bedtime. Right, 10 p.m. is now our bedtime. And then we hack back the external triggers. We make sure that we removed all those external triggers from our bedroom. We don't sleep next to our cell phone. That's a huge mistake. If you sleep next to your cell phone, you are asking for trouble because you have to decide in advance these these technologies won't distract you. If the first thing you reach for in the morning is your phone as opposed to kissing your loved one, that's a problem, right? So you want to make sure you sleep with your phone outside. We don't even have a television in our bedroom. I, I think anything that interrupts sleep or sex needs to go out of the bedroom. No external triggers in, in the bedroom. If, if there's a real emergency, somebody will find a way to contact you. The phone can be charged outside. So we removed all those external triggers. But then the last step to becoming indistractable is to prevent distraction with pacts. Now, a pact is a pre-commitment. It's when you decide in advance some step that will make it a little bit more difficult for you to do the thing you don't want to do, to get distracted. So it's a firewall. It's the last line of defense against distraction. So here's what we did. I went to the hardware store, and I bought us a $10 outlet timer. And this outlet timer will turn on or off whatever's plugged into it at a set time of day or night. So what did I do? I plugged in our internet router into this outlet timer and set it so that at 10 p.m. every night, it automatically shuts off at bedtime for the whole house. Now, could I turn it back on? Of course I could. I could go under my desk and I could unplug it, replug it. I could do that, but that now takes effort, right? It, It makes me go through a few extra steps. So what it did was insert a bit of mindfulness where I could say, wait a minute, 
do I really need to keep checking email here past 10 o'clock or do I want to get to bed and have maybe have a conversation and maybe more with my wife? That's what I really want to do. And it kind of snapped me into that moment where I could reconsider what do I really want to do with my time? What is traction here for me? By setting that pact, by making that promise to myself and having some having this timer keep me accountable. Now, today, I don't even need the timer because now it's become part of a routine. Everyone in the household knows, hey, get everything you need to get done, done because 10 o'clock, boom, the internet's going to shut off. So that implemented that that fourth step of becoming indistractable by deciding in advance using this pre-commitment device to prevent distraction with a pact. I like those pact. I've been using Apple's features where essentially it's just at five o'clock once I've picked up my kids and I'm done washing the dishes for the day, my social shuts off. So yes, I still have the option to go through it and press the I accept my my terms of being of breaking my pact. But at least it's there to stop me, to give me that second look, to be like, okay, are you done for the day? Can you be done for the day? And there are other kinds of packs, right? There are three kinds. There's what's called an effort pact, which is what we just described here with the internet timer or using a feature that's built into the phone. That would be called an effort pact. There's also a price pact where you put some kind of money on the line. So this is how I got into shape for the first time in my life. I'm at 43 years old in the best shape I've ever been by using price packs. And then we have what's called an identity pact, which is where we have some kind of moniker, some kind of label for ourselves. So this comes out of the psychology of religion. You know, when someone says, I'm a vegetarian or I'm a vegan, they don't wake up in the morning and say, hmm, should I have a bacon sandwich for breakfast? Their identity dictates their behavior. So it, 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 it makes it much easier to abide by what you say you are. And that's why the book is titled Indistractable. Indistractable sounds like indestructible. It is who you are. It becomes part of your identity. And if you've listened this long in the podcast, you can proudly call yourself indistractable too. Whether you buy the book or not, doesn't matter. You are the kind of person who strives to do what they say they're going to do. You live with personal integrity. You are indistractable. And it turns out, the psychology shows us, that just calling yourself by that moniker makes you much more likely to achieve your goals and to stay on track with what you yourself say you're going to do. I can see some t-shirts here near that people could wear that literally some, yeah. says, I'm indistractable, huh? Yes. <laughs> I love it. In fact, it's funny enough, I, I printed them, uh, I got this idea from a reader who actually did this on their own. They printed the word indistractable backwards. Why do they print it backwards? Because they wanted to see it correctly displayed when they looked at themselves in their mirror ah. to remind themselves they are indistractable. I like that. Yeah. Talk about literally wearing your identity. That's very cool. Hey, let's talk to the person who's listening that heard your conversation about this relationship where, you know, the wife and the husband, as you just described it, we're on board. We're putting the TV away. We're putting the devices away. Let's talk about maybe the spouse that's not on board with this. Somebody maybe loves to be on their phone at night. They've had a long day and yeah, it's really important to them. But the other spouse is saying, yeah, we don't have that time. I want to have that more connection. How do they start that conversation with their spouse? Yeah, so it's a great question. And I think it's important to not start moralizing this type of stuff. You know, we don't want to say, oh, you're on video games. That's such a waste of time. What are you doing? You know, because why should we judge how people spend their leisure time? You know, as you said, if if somebody finds it relaxing to scroll social media, why is that any different from the person who likes to watch football on TV? (laughs) There's no difference. One is, you know, maybe a newer technology, but any way you want to spend your time is fine. Again, as long as it's done according to your values and your schedule. So the conversation isn't, hey, stop doing that, right? That's going to get you nowhere. That's going to actually make the person want to do it more because of this phenomenon that we call psychological reactance. Instead, what we want to do is when can we plan time to be together? And so by planning that time in our schedule, 
right? By putting that time to be together, to be intimate, to have a conversation, to have a whatever it might be that you want to do with your time. Now we start instituting this, this practice of time boxing. And let me tell you, this saved my marriage. <laughs> we, we used to have these constant fights in my household around household responsibilities, right? Where my wife would say, you know, don't you see our daughter needs to be fed? Don't you see the trash needs to be taken out? Don't you see the laundry needs to be done? Why aren't you doing it? And I said, honey, if you want me to do something, just tell me. What's the problem? Just tell me, I'll do it, right? I know a lot of men out there have said that as well. In fact, the studies find, believe it or not, even in the year 2021, women take on a disproportionate share of household admin duties, right? Even in marriages where both people work outside the home, this is still the case, studies find. And what I didn't realize is by asking my wife to just tell me what to do, I was giving her yet another job, which is to be my camp counselor, right? <laughs> like, that's terrible. So we don't have this problem anymore. Why? Because now, once a week, we sit down for 10 minutes every Sunday night, and we do what's called a schedule sync. We take out each other's calendars, right? We literally take out our calendars on our phone, and we look at the calendar, and we go day by day, it takes us 10 minutes, and we synchronize our schedules, so that we know, okay, this responsibility gets done then, our daughter needs to be taken here, then this needs to happen. We synchronize our schedules, including time to be together, right? We have that on our schedule in advance, so that there's now there's no more surprises. She knows when I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do, and being that kind of partner that stands up for their commitments, that does what they say they're going to do, which, by the way, I always was happy to do. I was always happy to take out the trash. It's just I didn't know I was supposed to do it. Well, now I know. It's on my schedule. And that changed our life. Let me tell you, it was a, a breakthrough. So I think starting from that place of, hey, you know, you're really important to me. I want our time to, to, to make sure that we have time together. Let's start with that. You know, whether it's a date night once a week, whether it's a dinner every night or a, a conversation or a bedtime, let's put that on our calendars. And that's how we start making progress to start blocking more things on our time. And then, of course, you know, share a copy of the book would be a good idea if you read it and maybe you put it on the nightstand or something and you start sparks a conversation. That's a nice way as well. So let, let me do the convincing. You don't have to be the person that convinces them to, to change their ways. I've definitely found that as somebody who's been married for only 11 years, sometimes a third party can help when it comes to advice on the, maybe you should exactly. try this thing. Can you thing. believe what this guy said? You should read it. I mean, what is he talking about? But maybe we should check it out. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, near somebody's listening right now and they're ready to become indistractable. What is one piece of advice we could leave with them that they could do today? Sure. So I'll give you the, the mantra that I repeat every day to myself, which is something that I, I adopted after doing the research and writing this book, which is this. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. Let me say that again. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. That these problems, we, you know, if we don't have the kind of marriage we want, if we don't have the relationship with our kids we want, if we don't have the kind of financial freedom we want, this is a problem of impulse control. It's not a moral failing. There's nothing wrong with you. It's simply that we haven't learned the ways to control our impulses. Well, the antidote to all of these impulse control issues is forethought, planning ahead. Right? There is no distraction that you can't overcome if you plan ahead. But if you wait to the last minute, right? if the chocolate cake is on the fork and you're on a diet, you're going to eat it. If the cigarette is in your hand and you're trying to quit, you're going to smoke it. If you sleep next to your cell phone, it's going to be the first thing you reach for in the morning because it's too late. They're going to get you. You have to plan in advance. And so that's why I say the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought, that anyone can become indistractable by taking these steps in advance to make sure that we stay in traction rather than allowing ourselves to get into distraction. 
I hope everybody will enjoy this because we're going to make some traction today. Let's talk about where people can find this book and then maybe follow you if they want to learn more from you. I appreciate it. Thanks. So my blog is nearandfar.com. That's spelled N-I-R, like my first name, nearandfar.com. And if you go to indistractable.com, there's actually an 80-page workbook that's complimentary. We actually couldn't fit it into the final edition of the book. It was too long, but it's available. Anyone can get it for free at indistractable. That's spelled I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E. So indistractable.com. And that's where you can download that free workbook. Excellent. Nir, thank you so much. Hi, everybody, I'm an audio guy. You know, I like to learn through audio. Loved the audio book. I listened to it while I was doing yard work outside, going for walks. It definitely gave me a lot to think about in all of these facets of my life, in my work, in my relationship with my kids, and with my wife. So if you are looking to improve yourself in all of these areas, like we try to do a lot on this show, please check out this book. Check out nearandfar.com. Nir, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Andy. Thank you. This conversation hit home in a big way. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Nir Eyal. Number one, distraction is more internal than external. I'm always looking for the hack or the action that can solve my problems. For distractions, it's easy for me to say, ah, these phones are so distracting or the social media is so distracting. But really what Nier taught me today was that my distractions are more internal than they are external. In other words, it's not the phone or the social media that's distracting me so much as it is my emotion or my state of being in that moment. Really, do I want to be distracted? Am I bored? Am I nervous? Would I rather not be talking to the person that I'm talking to? Am I doing something right now that doesn't align with my goals and values and therefore I'd much rather be on my phone? (laughs) Given that fact, my new mission is to ensure my actions are consistent with the direction I want my life to go in. Perhaps that will decrease my ability to be distracted. We'll see. (laughs) Number two, the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. You heard Nier say that a few times. I know that when I plan my day ahead of time, I am more likely to get done what matters most. If I start my day with no direction, I will end up getting distracted and be drawn toward activities that don't matter in the long run. Maybe they're a quick dopamine hit, like checking how many likes I have on my new Instagram reel, (laughs) but they are not moving me towards where I want to go. So when I'm doing my best day, I write down my plan for that day in my daily planner. And when I feel lost about what I'm supposed to be doing, I look at that planner and it brings me back. Forethought wins. Number three, be the example. I know my kids are watching me. Yes, they're individuals and they have their own personalities, but I know that my example will influence the people that they will become in the future. I know this is true because my parents influenced me. Do I want to be a man of integrity? Yes. Then when I say I'm going to do something, I should do it. If I say to my kids, we don't look at our phones before bed. I better be willing to do the same thing. 
If I tell my kids, contributing to the household chores is something we should all do, I better be contributing to the household chores then. (laughs) They learn from watching us. They learn from our example. So let's be who we want them to be. And those are my top three takeaways, everyone. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media at Andy Hill MKM. And let's keep the conversation going. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific situation. A big thanks to Dan Tabbitt for editing today's show and to Weird Digital Marketing for supporting us on our socials and Dan Hines for helping us with our YouTube videos. I really appreciate working with all three of you and thank you so much for your support. Before we go for the day, I want to ask you to do one quick favor. That is to join me in the Thriving Families Facebook community. This is a free community that helps like-minded families thrive. And this is an area that I've had for probably, oh, now two or three years with my buddy El Martinez from Simplify and Enjoy. That's another great podcast you guys should check out. And one thing that we like to do in this group is share our goals. Longtime group member Carlos had this annual goal to share. Pay $5,000 on my last credit card, get my savings to five digits, and read all these books. And he posted a picture of a stack of personal finance and self-improvement books like Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You to Be Rich and The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. These are all really great goals and and great books, too, that, uh, that I've enjoyed myself. So congratulations, Carlos, for setting this intention this year. This is exactly what we were talking about with Nir Eyal today. It's hard to complain about what you're being distracted from unless you know where you want to make traction, right? And Carlos, yeah, this is the the Carlos, by the way, everybody. This is where he wants to make traction this year, becoming credit card debt-free, increasing his savings to $10,000, and reading some awesome books to improve himself. Can I get a round of applause for our friend, Carlos? All right. Way to go, Carlos. Very, very cool. Very cool. Thank you for putting that out there. And yeah, now that it's uh, public on a podcast, we're going to hold you accountable, my friend. (laughs) If you want to join our free Thriving Families Facebook community and also maybe share your goals publicly and have us hold you accountable, please go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. Again, that's a free Facebook group. If you're not into Facebook, no big deal. Follow me on social media, Andy Hill, MKM, and other fashions. We could do that on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, That's pretty much it. That's where I'm hanging out lately. Anyway, I hope to see you there in the land of social media. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Jack Welsh. Control your own destiny or someone else will. You are in control of your life, my friends. Carpe diem.